Hi, everybody. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Welcome to the program this weekend. This is the 4th of July weekend, Rick, and uh, it's a time that we celebrate the freedom of America. Well, it certainly is, Jimmy, and that means this year is halfway over. That's amazing. I feel like we just came into this year, but there's been so much going on. Uh, we do want to wish everybody a happy 4th of July, and we are blessed to live in this country uh, and to celebrate the freedoms that we do have to live in this country with our families. Yes, and I'm looking forward to this weekend. I hope everyone else is. You know, do people still do the three-legged race on 4th of July weekend? I have no idea. But as we look at today's program, it's not necessarily going to be about the freedoms of America, although we celebrate those, and I think they're quickly going away and Maybe that's a program for another time. But I think, Rick, what we are focusing on this weekend are events around the world that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. That's what we typically do here on Prophecy Today. And we look at these current events. We report on them accurately. We have broadcast partners that help us do that. And then we kind of put those things in context, and we see oftentimes how these things are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Certainly, a lot of things taking place in Israel right now with the government and the call for new elections in November. We're definitely going to talk about that with Dave Dolan. Yes, David Dolan will be here. He's our Mideast uh, news update gentleman. He's been doing this for almost 40 years from the Mideast. He's very well versed in the events that are taking place. He'll give us a rundown of what is taking place in Israel. You know, sometimes, Rick, when we're talking about the program and the things that we focus on, last week I wanted to point out that we do focus on really four criteria, and we keep our eyes on four areas of Bible prophecy. That would be Aliyah, the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. And we go to the book of Micah, where we find where it talks about the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel in that day. And that day would be the tribulation period. But we're seeing the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel now. We are. That's something that we've talked about on this program. And one of the greatest signs that we are living in the last days. Yes. And then, of course, we take a, this anticipation for peace. Today, we'll be talking with our broadcast partners that are helping us focus. When we just watched the events that took place with world leaders just recently, and I know this happens quite often, but as we are watching world leaders make decisions, sitting around a table talking about the future of Europe, one of our good buddies, our uh, friend Dr. Rob Congdon, will be on the program with us today talking about the European Union, and he always focused on that in the past, and he's got some very interesting things to say about the future of the European Union. So this anticipation for peace is highly anticipated. The world is looking for a world leader, and it is prime for that stage to be set. Of course, we look at the alignment of the nations. That's why we always focus on Russia, what it's doing, and we see the European Union looking forward to a future military that will be stacking up against Russia. The war uh, that has become the world's war in Russia. And then, of course, we're looking at the arrangement of the temple. Uh, today, we're not going to focus on the temple as much, but it is something that we have focused on in times past. These four events that you're talking about, Jimmy, and they just happen to be an alliteration. You know, this was a book that uh, our father wrote, and he loved alliteration. But you talked about the anticipation for peace, the Aliyah, 
the alignment of the nations and the arrangements for the third temple. These things are major indicators uh, that the the end time scenario is about to begin. And these most of these things, or many of these things are mentioned, are things that are going to take place during the tribulation, and that is after the rapture of the church. Sure is. Well, we got to get started with our program, so let's get to our first broadcast partner. As always, let's go to Ken Timmerman. Ken Timmerman joins us. He's our expert in geopolitical affairs, and he joins us from the south of France. Ken, thank you for taking time out to join us today. Uh, Rick, it's a great pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, another person that has recently been in Europe is President Biden, and he was involved in some meetings there. Uh, can you tell us what he achieved or what he didn't achieve there? Biden was in Europe for two sets of meetings, the first in Madrid with the NATO partner, where they were discussing uh, Sweden and Finland coming into the alliance, and the second was the G7 group in Germany. And in both places, he was trying to pitch uh, this idea that Russia is behind all the increase in the gasoline price and the oil price, which everybody knows is not true, and also trying to figure out uh, an end game. Because uh, believe it or not, the U.S. got involved in the war in Ukraine, supporting the Ukrainians without any end game. We didn't uh, think in the beginning Ukraine was going to win. Remember that famous moment when uh, Zelensky said to Biden, uh, thank you very much, but uh, I need ammunition, not a ride out of here. Uh, and so the end game for Biden in the beginning was was just having Zelensky fall and the government fall. Uh, and they haven't thought this through. So they don't know where they're really going. Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, was telling reporters in Germany that they wanted to uh, deliver as many weapons as possible to the Ukrainians soon so the war doesn't seep over into the winter. I mean, think about that for a second. We've already been into what was supposed to be a three-day or four-day war, and now it's in its fourth month. And Jake Sullivan is now talking about it extending into the winter. This is having catastrophic impact on world oil prices. Uh, they have increased since the uh, Russian invasion. They already doubled before that because of Biden's policies. But it's also having a huge, huge impact on uh, grain supplies around the world, and in particular countries like Lebanon and countries in Africa. So the Biden administration has really not done its strategic homework here, and they're sort of scraping around to find a policy. Well, the one thing that I would worry about with Finland and Sweden joining is Putin has expressed indifference about them joining NATO, but he has said that he is not going to allow them to militarize. Could they draw the U.S. into an obligatory uh, war there? Uh, absolutely they could, Rick. And that is the whole point of uh, Article 5 of NATO, is that an attack on one country is an attack on all countries. So with Sweden and Finland in NATO, all of us are obligated to defend them. Remember, Finland has an 800-mile border with uh, Russia. Now, the Russians have not threatened openly to attack either country, but people forget, uh, all during the Cold War, the Russians neutralized Finland. In fact, it was what they wanted to do with the rest of Europe. We had a phrase for it at the time. They wanted to Finlandize Europe to render them neutral. So it would be a buffer zone. Uh, and that is going to be lost if Finland joins NATO. Sweden is is another story. Uh, Sweden actually has something of, a, of an air force. They have been targeted by the Russians uh, over decades with uh, not only espionage, 
um, you know, uh, against uh, Swedish uh, defense electronics company, something that I have investigated pretty closely uh, with help from Swedish intelligence, actually. But they had these crawler submarines that were uh, in, invading Swedish military ports, gathering intelligence and laying the way for a potential attack. So the Russians have always had war plans against Sweden. This is something that most people don't realize. I can guarantee you the Swedes are well aware of it. My wife, who is Swedish, she was brought up on a farm. And when she was a child during the Cold War, they rented out one of the barns to the Swedish military as an arsenal, as a stockpile, a weapon stockpile. This was in the 50s and the 60s. All right. Now, they no longer do that. But the Swedes understand that Russia still would like to dominate Sweden one way or another. If it's not directly militarily, it would be by Finlandizing them or neutralizing them. And by joining NATO, they will avoid that. Well, Ken, we'll move away from Europe. And we've been talking about NATO and the European Union and these multinational uh, organizations, and they are very complicated. Uh, we move to the Middle East and we look at uh, maybe some of these uh, Arab countries and maybe even Israel joining together to potentially defend themselves but Iran, but it's almost like a Middle Eastern NATO. Uh, absolutely, Rick. And this is a sea change. And it's a sea change brought about by President Trump and the Abraham Accords in August of 2020. And they are expanding. In the beginning, we talked the first year of the Abraham Accords about a year ago. We say, oh, yeah, they have now, uh, Israel and those countries have now engaged in $600 million worth of trade. Well, now the UAE alone says that they did $2 billion worth of trade with Israel last year and are expecting uh, uh, $5 billion in 2023. I mean, it, it's extraordinary what has happened. Saudi Arabia has been the outlier. And the reason that they are the outlier in the accords is because of the king, King Solomon. He is 87 years old. Now, his son, Mohammed bin Salman, has been meeting with Israeli officials. He would love to join the Abraham Accords. And I think I can guarantee you that when King Salman dies, and I can guarantee you he's going to die, <laughs> and his son takes over, less sure that his son will take over. But if Mohammed bin Salman takes over, Saudi Arabia will be in the Abraham Accords, and you will have an Arab defense union. Uh, it could It's going to start off with what uh, uh, President Trump called the Middle East Air Alliance, uh, which is to uh, mesh their air defense networks, including that of Israel. And they all have a common enemy, which is Iran. So you're going to have an Arab defense network with Israel as a partner against Iran and Iran's strategic partners, uh, Syria, Russia, and China. So this is the big, big strategic situation we're looking at. Two giant groups, two very powerful groups of countries. Israel, the Arab countries on one side with the U.S. behind them, and Iran and, and Russia and China on the other. Uh, that is where we're headed, and it's going to be a, a military alliance on both sides. Like you said, a sea change. Who would have thought that that would have been taking place right now at NATO in the Middle East or Middle Eastern NATO. Well, we appreciate you uh, taking your time to give us your insight on these subjects from your villa there in the south of France, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, my pleasure, Rick. God bless. Excellent interview as always, Rick. 
We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan with our Middle East News Update, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. State courthouses have become the new battleground for abortion rights in the United States. In Michigan, home of Set Free Ministries, abortion supporters want the issue on the midterm election ballot. Set Free Ministries' Dean Vandermeer says abortion is more than a political or legal issue. It's a choice with emotional and spiritual consequences. If you're burdened by guilt and shame, take heart. There is freedom in Christ. Connect with Set Free at our website. From unborn kids, we turn to refugee kids. Russia's war on Ukraine is entering its fifth month, and uncertainty remains high. God knew that Ukrainian kids would need hope. Before the pandemic, ministry partners helped Keys for Kids Ministries translate its youth devotionals into Ukrainian and Russian. Pastors and church leaders scooped them up after Russia's invasion, and today, groups throughout Europe want the devos for refugee kids at their summer camps. Find your place in this story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. This is the segment of our program where we have our Middle East news update, and to do that with us today, we have author and journalist Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Always happy to be with you, Rick, and to talk to your audience. Well, there's certainly a lot going on in Israel. You lived in Israel for 30 years, and you've been through your share of elections. They are going through their share of elections right now. Can you give us an update on the Israeli political situation? Uh, I can summarize it in one word. It's a disaster. (laughs) It's not a new disaster. It's been like this now for almost four years. When I moved to Israel, Rick, it was still a basically two-party system like we have in the United States. Britain has three major parties, and other parliamentary democracies usually have at least three. Uh, Israel has 14 uh, Mm. now, and uh, the largest in the last uh, 20 years has been the Likud, but the former leader of the country, the Labour Party, ran the country until Menachem Begin, the head of the Likud, was elected in 1977. So for several decades, they exclusively, but they never had a majority. They always had to have alliances with other parties, too. 
but it was a much more two-party system then. Now it's just a mess, and there's too many parties, too many small parties. It takes 3.25% of the overall vote in the Knesset to make it into the Knesset, so some of the small parties don't even get into the parliament. They don't even make it in, but uh, it's usually, oh, 10 or 12 that do, and that's what we've got now. And of course, eight of them joined together in this government that has collapsed now. Just a year ago, that was formed. And of course, at the time, I told your late father, and we all realized it would probably not last very long, being a very broad right-left alliance, including Muslim, a Muslim party and a two very left-wing Jewish parties and two very right-wing and religious parties, including the Prime Minister's Party, Bennett. So he dissolved the Knesset because it was clear that after four defections that he could no longer govern or get anything passed in the parliament. So instead of waiting for a no-confidence vote that was coming, he and his partner, Yair Lapid, announced on Monday it's over. And now they are heading towards elections. The date has finally been set for November 1st. And that gives uh, Lapid, Yair Lapid, an extra month as acting prime minister, Rick, because the law states the election has to be after the dissolution of the parliament, three months later, the next week sometime. But the next week, in this case, in early early October, will be uh, Yom Kippur, and uh, followed by the Feast of Tabernacles in the middle of October. So they moved it back to the 1st of November, giving him four months as interim prime minister. Bennett announced that uh, he will not be running again. He will not be coming back to the parliament. That's uh, partly due to the fact that the polls show his party has lost such support amongst especially uh, Jewish voters in Judea and Samaria that think, you know, his alliance with the left was terrible, etc., that they wouldn't even make it in. And it would be embarrassing for a former prime minister to not even pass the threshold to get in. So he's not going to run again. Lapid certainly is. He's the one now meeting with Joe Biden in mid-July. And although Biden announced that he, or the White House announced that he would also meet with Bibi Netanyahu, the opposition leader, because whenever there's a election going on, that's the policy of the various presidents, not just Biden, that they meet with both the current prime minister and the possible next prime minister in a few months. So, uh, And the polls still show the Likud will pick up seats, but the latest poll on Wednesday, Rick, showed the Likud and its allies presently, Bibi and his allies, at 58 seats with the opposition, the parties that are now, well, that are leaving government, but were in the government, would get 56 seats. So neither side would uh, have a majority to form a government. And it looks like a further stalemate. And that's why I say it's really a disaster. It's been four years of uncertainty. And with the prospect of war with Iran growing all the time, it's not the time for such instability. But it's uh, the Israeli system. Well, we'll switch gears a little bit. And, and I'd like to discuss some talks that uh, have been going on. They're about some islands in the Red Sea. I guess the, the most interesting thing about the talks is who is involved in them, the, the nations that are involved in them. Well, yes, it's uh, talks, frankly, between Saudi Arabia and Israel, 
but they're not being held directly between those two parties. The United States is doing most of the mediation uh, quietly behind the scenes. The White House hasn't formally acknowledged it, but it's been in Axios and various other, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. media that this is taking place, not been denied. And what it is, Rick, to not go into the weeds, but there are two islands at the mouth of the Red Sea. Now, we've got to remember the Red Sea ends in the north with the Israeli port of Elat, and that is its southern port. All Israeli traffic, all their goods and sales are either exported or imported when they're coming from Asia, from Australia, from India. There are other countries they get through the southern port of a lot, very important port. And uh, in uh, 1967, the Egyptian leader Nasser uh, blockaded that uh, mouthway into the Red Sea, which is what led to a few weeks later to the uh, dramatic Six-Day War. And there's two islands, Tehran Island and Sanafir Island. And the Sanafir Island was Saudi before Egypt captured it. Nasser captured it. Now, the Tehran Island is off the Sinai Peninsula. That was always Egyptian, but he sees the other one, and they've held it ever since. Well, the Saudis have wanted it back, but the Israelis have resisted that until now because the Camp David Peace Treaty said that it would remain under Egyptian control with an international force stationed there, and that's what is the case today, Rick. There's American soldiers, British, French, and some others uh, stationed on those two islands to make sure that it remains open to, frankly, Israeli uh, sea traffic, but not just Israeli, but mainly. And um, so to hand that over to the Saudis, if they're hostile towards Israel, is, you know, crazy. But it looks like there may be even, uh, Rick, hints coming of an announcement of a formal treaty between Israel and Saudi Arabia. This wasn't expected just uh, a few months ago, but that may be the result uh, that may be announced during Biden's visit. The White House told, or a White House official told a congressional committee to expect some major news, major surprises out of this summit. Uh, Biden's meeting with nine regional Arab leaders in uh, Saudi Arabia in mid-July after his visit to, short visit to Israel. So dramatic things are happening, and we'll have to see what happens. But Israel seems to be going along with this. The Saudis can take over that one island, but they're insisting on one thing, Rick, that those international forces remain. And the U.S. is apparently going to give Israel a written guarantee that that will be the case. And Israel for Israel, that would be sufficient uh, to go through with this. Well, this continues an interesting trend that began with uh, the previous administration. President Trump worked hard on the Abraham Accords, and Israel, they have seen fruit in the fact that Israel has begun to maybe not be super strong allies, but they've begun to have talks with other Arab countries. And now Saudi Arabia potentially joining in there. This is a very interesting development, maybe centered around the fact that they have a common enemy in the Middle East, and that's Iran. What does Iran think about this? Well, that is what is bringing them together. Uh, Iran's uh, a growing power, its aggression, allies all over the place fighting for it. Uh, They feel as threatened as Israel does, uh, basically. And uh, there's growing talk of a 
quote, Arab-Israel NATO being formed, that actual military alliances uh, may be formed between Egypt and Jordan and Israel, and then maybe Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Abu Dhabi, um, etc. So this is amazing. And the key point is Saudi Arabia, Rick, because, of course, that is the headquarters of Islam. The Islamic world centers around Mecca and Medina. You'd think it was Jerusalem, but it's not. And if the Saudis come on board formally with a, a peace deal with Israel, that will be a major game changer. And we'll probably see several other countries uh, quickly join in that. So um, kudos to the former president for getting that going and kudos for the current president for pursuing it. Uh, whereas he looked a year ago like he wouldn't do that. He was being so critical of the Saudis, so anti-Saudi, but he's changed his tune because he needs their oil and uh, the world does. So uh, that's what's happening. But yes, it's about Iran. Iran's not very happy about all of this, of course, and they'll continue their machinations to try to um, keep Israel isolated. But uh, this is happening on the ground. And so far, the Iranians have not been able to stop it. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk to our listeners. We look forward to hearing from you again soon. Blessed to do it, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a break right now, but when we return, we will have more right here on Prophecy Today Radio. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And, uh, you know, uh, there are so many things happening. Understanding Bible prophecy really does help us to pick out the stories based on what we see and understand from God's word. And that's why we can focus on the countries that we focus on. And uh, I think if you study that, folks, if you are always and you're listening to this program, you understand we have a guideline. There is a guideline There's uh, that we follow in picking out stories and covering them. So today I thought um, this last week as I was reading the stories, there were so many stories coming up about the European Union. Um, and I thought, you know, one of the guys that my father loved to go to in the past was Dr. Rob Congdon. He was, and we've gotten so many uh, emails about where's Rob. So, Dr. Rob Congdon, welcome to the program again. 
Well, it's so good to be with you again. I know we all get very busy, but it is good to talk to you and to your listeners. Well, you know, before we went on the air, we were just sharing about ministries, that uh, your ministry and our ministry and how God is continuing to grow them. And you're almost busier now than you were 20 years ago, correct? Oh, yeah. I, actually, I'm at the, the peak of uh, busyness right now, and, and we're, we're reaching now through viewership on our Internet uh, video channel, 31 countries of the world. So, yes, we've expanded our ministry from Britain, and now it's gone to 31 countries. Well, what can we focus? I mean, first of all, give us your website, and what, what would you want your, a new listener or a longtime listener uh, to focus on going to your website? What can we see? Okay, our website is congdenministries.org. Just do a search in Google for Robert Congdon and you'll find it. Uh, it's a video teaching ministry, and we really emphasize two prime areas. First of all and foremost, it really is an in-depth teaching, looking at not only current affairs but prophecy from a more in-depth level than much teaching that is out there. That's not to criticize the other teaching, but we feel it's time to, to really dig deep. And I have that privilege. The Lord's allowed me to sit and research heavily before I produce the videos. Mm. We're doing a series on Armageddon right now and the eight stages of Armageddon. Most people don't even realize there's anything more than just a battle there. Wow. And ironically, there isn't. So our videos are teaching that, and of course, current affairs, and specifically what we feel are some of the dangers to the churches today within the churches. And, and we're going to touch on it, I suspect, in just a few minutes. But Calvinism is having a major impact on the churches in the United States, and we're dealing with that impact and why we be, believe that the scriptures need to be understood before you get taken into this kind of movement. Well, that's, let's talk about that, because I sent you an article uh, from the Jerusalem Post, and even today uh, on the Times of Israel podcast, Jewish uh, Jewish media, newspapers, religious Jews, uh, and I'm not talking uh, Christian religious Jews. I'm talking about religious Jews in the land of Israel. Uh, we focus on them because we understand God still has a plan for them. Uh, and, but they are talking about the, the, Christ, the support of the Christian community and how it's not as strong as it once was, and it's not supportive as it once was. And I sent you this article, the U.S. Presbyterian Church uh, unanimously voted to declare Israel an apartheid state. And uh, their International Engagement Committee voted overwhelmingly to recognize that Israel's laws, policies, and practices regarding the Palestinian people fulfill the international legal definition of apartheid. Now we've covered this before, but let's let's get into this a little bit. Why the Presbyterian Church? Why are they coming out so strong in a BDS uh, campaign? Well, there's two motivations that I have seen and observed behind it. One is just plain political. 
politics is trying to pressure and part of their resolutions they passed three resolutions unanimously one is to get our government to quit supporting israel with arms sales and security arrangements and of course that totally ignores the fact that we gain much from israel also they mm. test our weapons for us and they also prov- provide great security uh, information to the u.s so that's the political they're, they're just against that movement. And that's starting to reflect a general culture movement. But secondly, there is the spiritual motivation behind this. And it comes right back, as far as I'm concerned, because I've seen this historically over several hundred years, as Calvinism really controls, and let's face it, the U.S. uh, Presbyterian Assembly is Calvinistic, strong Calvinism, and Calvinism has had a resurgence. Instead of it being just a theory about salvation or security, eternal security, it's become an everyday event in these churches promoting certain movements. Inevitably, anti-Semitism, anti-Israel grows within a Calvinistic church. And that driving is because of their view of prophecy. If, If you don't believe there's a millennium, You don't believe there's a tribulation where God's calling back Israel to awaken them and turn them to him. If you don't believe that, you believe that God will just at any moment sort of flip a switch and that'll end this age and we'll go into the new heavens and new earth. If you don't believe in Israel's future, it's easy to become anti-Semitism. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about a natural enmity between the non-Christian and the Jewish people, and that God breaks that down when you receive Christ. But Calvinism seeks to reestablish that, and that's what this was. This is this apartheid accusation uh, against Israel is to turn the world against Israel. And uh, they're leading the way. The Presbyterians are, as I've said, are strong Calvinists. So that force is very strong in their churches and in the United States today. Well, where would you say uh, the Presbyterian Church started to go wrong? I mean, as far as, uh, I mean, we clearly see, we teach that God is not finished with the Jewish people. That's why we focus on them. But where did it go wrong as to, uh, you know, Calvinism, uh, the Presbyterian Church? Where, where, at what point in history did they start to veer off of this, uh, really, uh, 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 their eschatology going astray? Well, it's interesting. I grew up in a Presbyterian church as a young lad, and it wasn't there at all. And uh, it wasn't until later. And really what we've seen is a resurgence in about the 1890, 1890. What we've really seen is a resurgence in around 1990 on of Calvinism throughout the country. Mm. And that has largely come through the growth of Internet teaching on Calvinism and the promotion of it largely started by Piper in Minnesota. And that movement has spread rapidly to stir up what I would call the theological basis that the Presbyterians originally held, but have never made preeminent. The church I was in, you wouldn't even know it was Calvinistic unless you pressed for a specific answer to a question about Calvinism. But now that's totally changed. It's, it's almost like it's a, an aggressive movement and very aggressive movement in churches, in Baptist churches, Bible churches, Presbyterian churches, to 
bring in Calvinism, and push out what I call Biblicism, which is the true biblical faith. Well, it's interesting, Dr. Congdon, you brought that up because I had a conversation with a young lady that was going to a Christian university trying to find a church, and just about every church now, she grew up as at Baptist, and that was her denomination, her father's a pastor, she wanted to find a good church in the city of where she was going to college. Visiting seven or eight churches, she was able to detect when she would walk in what the uh, uh, the... No, I'm getting a call. Sorry. She was able to detect that every church that she walked into, there were situations where it seemed Calvinistic. And she asked her dad, so why do we see this really bringing back up into even our Baptist churches that say they're Baptist, but there's Calvinism is growing stronger in the Baptist churches? Well, I believe, and here we go to prophecy again, I believe, and I wrote about it in a small booklet about the future of Calvinism, I believe it's actually Satan is using it to establish a a foothold to prepare for during the tribulation. Mm. Now think about this. If a person believes he's elect and doesn't have to make a decision to receive Christ, he's just, I'm elect, I was confirmed when I was 12 years old, I'm elect, Uh, that's a head knowledge at best. And when the rapture occurs, all true believers are removed from this earth, earth, taken to be with their Lord. That means at the start of the tribulation, there's no unsaved people. But there will be people who intellectually have believed in Jesus, if you will, and they're being geared up to look for a messianic Christ, if you will. And when the tribulation occurs, they start putting it together. They think the Antichrist will be it. So it's much of the prophetical teaching, if you will call it prophetical teaching, of the Calvinist Church is almost setting the groundwork for that time and for people who don't have a true heart, trust, and faith in Jesus Christ. Those people will face the tribulation, and they're, they're being set up because Calvinism also believes that the government, the state government, is to carry out the rules of the church. Mm. Mm. And that's that's what you've got in the tribulation. So it's I think it's Satan working overtime. He knows his time is short. Wow, wow. Well, uh, we have always said in this program, your eschatology determines your theology, and I think that's so true. Well, one of the <laughs> that was I mean we could spend uh, and we will in the future we could spend a lot more time, uh, but we do know that this is. Uh, one of the indications that we're living definitely in the end times or the last days. But, uh, Rob, you were very instrumental for years keeping us abreast of the European Union and it being the infrastructure, at least for the revived Roman Empire, Daniel chapter 7. Can you help us understand? I've sent you a couple, uh, you know, uh, talking points, but I know that you are very knowledgeable on this. First of all, we had President Biden there in in Europe uh, this last week. Uh, They're also uh, meeting with the leaders, world leaders, looking for how to um, really prepare for security issues in the future, how to to make the European Union a stronger uh, entity, if you will. And even how Russia and the latest situation uh, between the European Union and uh, Russia over Kaliningrad. 
Could you just touch base with us on this and help us to understand why it's important that we are focused always on what Russia is doing in this situation? Okay, we're we're living in really spectacular times prophetically, and I'm not saying anything is direct fulfillment of prophecy, but it's stage setting. Mm. The Russian aggression into the Ukraine has brought out in the European Union some of the very things it needs to create cohesiveness in the Union. And in doing that, the European Union and NATO, and I stress both, and you'll see why in just a second, both are really pushing Russia into a position against the wall. Mm. And Putin, the president of Russia, has said that, you know, he's not going to be bullied by anybody. Well, there's this little tiny area of land the size of Northern Ireland, it's very tiny, called Kaliningrad. And its history goes way back, but it's a, a, a little area on the Baltic Sea that isn't directly connected to Russia. It, it goes and connects to Russia through Lithuania to Belarus. And I always tell your listeners, look at maps, you'll learn a lot. Well, Kaliningrad is the only warm water port that Russia's navy has. So that's where their navy is centered. It also is where one of their major mi- missile complexes are. Now, if you look at a map, there's a tiny little corridor between Kaliningrad to Belarus to Russia or to Ukraine. Therefore, Kaliningrad's crucial militarily to Russia, but the European Union, in acting against Russia and the Ukrainian aggression, they have told Lithuania to not allow any transportation connection between Kaliningrad and Belarus. In other words, close the corridor, cut them off. That's going to help stop Russia's further war efforts. And Russia is starting to get pretty upset because it's a crucial tiny bit of land to Russia and Kaliningrad. From there, missiles can be launched to the Ukraine, to Poland, to to Lithuania. So the EU is trying to exert its muscles and cutting off Russia as they're they're, they're trying to limit Russia. Uh, Putin knows if he just waits long enough, the EU is not going to succeed unless NATO steps in, and that's where the other factor is. NATO is right around Kaliningrad. So if this land becomes a land that they start fighting about, mm. uh, this war will expand greatly. And uh, as I've said in uh, certain videos, uh, and I've got one coming out very shortly about the spiritual motivation of why Russia is in the Ukraine today, this could easily either set the ground for or lead right into the Battle of Gog Magog. And I stress, the rapture will occur just before the Battle of Gog, Magog of Ezekiel 38. So again, prophecy is driving much, the Lord is driving all, he's controlling right, all. Right. But prophecy is giving us insights into why a little tiny bit of land could explode into a European war. Right. You know, and I always explain to people, Dr. Cogden, you know, what makes sense to us, uh, God is using world leaders to accomplish his will. He's using events in history, past and present and future, to set the stage for prophetic events that take place in his timeline. And it is, he's sovereign, he's in control of all, and everything that happens every single day 
That's why we focus on these events so that we might understand where we are in this in, in these end times. Dr. Congdon, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, even though these are tumultuous times, it sounds when you talk, you're very comfortable in the fact that we are living in the last days and there's nothing to be afraid of, correct? Absolutely. I get more excited every day because not only do I see what the Bible is telling me where it's all going, but I'm getting excited personally because it could be quickly. We could all be taken up at the rapture to see our Lord and be with him from that day on. Amen. Well, I look forward to being with you soon again, and uh, thank you so much. The blessings to your ministry, your wife, and all that you're doing. Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Lord bless you all. That was Rob Congdon, Dr. Rob Congdon, and speaking about uh, the European Union and, of course, the uh, Presbyterian Church uh, calling uh, Israel an apartheid state. Well, you know, we've been getting questions uh, to our website, and we're going to encourage folks to send questions, and we're going to go to our broadcast partners to ask them. And so I've invited back this week Dr. George Gunn. Welcome back, Dr. Gunn. Thanks, Jimmy. Good to be back. Yes, he's a uh, professor of theology, uh, head of the, I, I think, the department at uh, Shasta Bible College, and we're right. glad to have you back here with us. So we have a question that came in, and I thought, man, this is right up your alley. So let me read the question. The Mosaic gospel of grace must be preached to the world before the Great Tribulation, Matthew twenty four fourteen. This has not been done. Jesus is our example. He kept the Mosaic Feast of Leviticus 23. God does not do away with these feasts. That's Matthew chapter 5, 17 and 18. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. This is the weekly Sabbath. It is the Father who created it and sanctified it from Genesis chapter 2. And why are you dishonoring God? Expect Israel to conquer Syria soon and prevent nukes from being brought to the borders. Time is short. Repent and obey the gospel and uh, in Jesus' name. So, well, uh, the question, I think, is why are you dishonoring God? So, Dr. Gunn, I've sent you the question. Yeah. What's your take on this? Well, thanks, Jimmy. That's such an interesting question. It's actually one that comes up often. People uh, read that uh, Matthew twenty four fourteen. Uh, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Now, this this questioner has a little different twist on that because he's coming from it uh, from the perspective of honoring the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath, and the Jewish feasts mm -hmm. and all that. Mm -hmm. More frequently, I've I've heard this um, utilized by missions organizations as a motivation to Christians to preach the gospel to everywhere in the world. Right. You've got to do that before the Lord returns. <laughs> Dr. Gunn, i got to tell you this. When my father would go to a church and that verse was on you know, the big board yeah. at the back of the church with all the pens drawn to the pictures and to the places in the world, that was, oh, yeah. you knew that that was going to come up in the sermon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but, but the thing is, here, there is, a, there is a distinction that needs to be drawn between the word, the way the word gospel is using here and the way the word gospel is used elsewhere. I think it's important for us to recognize that the word gospel, as Christians, we tend to think of that in a technical sense of the gospel, the message of salvation that gets preached, that involves the death, burial, and resurrection of 
the Lord Jesus Christ. But to a first century Greek speaker, and of course the, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, we know that, to a New Testament first century Greek speaker, the word gospel, which was in Greek evangelion, just meant good news. Mm. It could be the good news of any kind. Uh, a, a dear friend of mine just went to the doctor, uh, for example, mm. and the doctor told him, well, I have some bad news for you. You have a mass growing in your chest. Well, of course, he was alarmed by that. But the doctor said, but I also have good news. It appears to be benign. Uh, and at your age, he's in his 80s, uh, it probably won't cause you any problem before something else uh, brings about your death. So there was good news. Mm. A first-century Greek speaker would have used the same word that we translate gospel for that kind of good news. So there, you have to understand the word in context. So when we come to Matthew 24, what was Jesus talking about when he said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all the nations? This was a gospel. It was a good news about the kingdom. Mm. So, uh, you know, the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom is a major theme in the gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew starts out uh, very early with uh, John the Baptist preaching to Israel, saying, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was the good news. Israel had been waiting for thousands of years for the kingdom. God had promised it long, long ago, and now John was saying it's at hand. Jesus came along and he said, um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm -hmm. He sent his apostles out to the tribes of Israel, and he told them to preach, saying, repent because the, God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was the gospel of the kingdom. When we look at the, at the big picture of the Gospel of Matthew, what we find is in the first 12 chapters, this is the message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it was an official offer of the kingdom to mm -hmm. Israel, so they were being called to repent. Chapter 12, everything comes to a big head, because Jesus is confronted by the religious leaders up in Galilee, and they say, well, uh, he's casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, and Jesus accuses them of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is another kind of controversial topic, and mm. we can talk about that someday. But, but the thing is, that, um, that big encounter led to Jesus officially withdrawing the offer of the kingdom for that time period. And he went on in the next chapter, the 13th chapter, to present these parables about the kingdom. Mm -hmm. The main message being that the kingdom of heaven now is going to be withdrawn for a period of time. It will be re-offered at the second coming. So we are now in this period of postponement, kingdom postponement. So in the tribulation period, which is the subject matter now, when we come back to Matthew 24, we are looking at that final time just before the second coming, the tribulation period. Mm. That's when this gospel of the kingdom will be offered. Again, good news, Israel, the kingdom of heaven is once again at hand. So when he says in verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world, he's talking about not events that must take place before the tribulation period, like our questioner thought, but it's talking about events that will take place during the tribulation period. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the, 
the thing is, God you know, has given to the Church today a great commission. We are supposed to bring the gospel of the, the gospel of grace, uh, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who believe in him will be saved. That's, that's the gospel message we mm-hmm. have, and we are supposed to bring it to the world. But the truth is that it's the Jews who are going to finish that task during the tribulation period. It won't be, the message won't be identical to what we preach today, because we, we can't say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm-hmm. We don't know that. Uh, the thing that's at hand for the Church is the rapture of the Church. Following that, there'll be the tribulation period, a reoffer of the kingdom, and the signs that will be performed during the tribulation period, the sun turning black, the moon moon turning red blood, mm-hmm. um, and, and the, these uh, judgments that are coming from God. These are all signs pointing to the fact that just as in the first coming of Jesus, at the second coming of Jesus, the kingdom is once again at hand. And that's good news. Now, I think in the tribulation period, that message will also include a message about the cross, the resurrection, of course, but it will be a, a good news that the kingdom is once again here. So the, the urgent need to repent is being uh, given over again. Mm. So I think that's what we're looking at here. I think, and I I love the way you answered it. Uh, and it's, it, I think, you know, it's an honest question and just a misinterpretation. Yep. There's a technical interpretation for Matthew chapter 24 and a spiritual application. I think technically it was to the Jewish people, uh, the three strands of the human family that we've talked about, Gentiles, Jews, and Christians. Once the church comes about, we can spiritually apply some of these parables that you talked about, about that kingdom. That kingdom, of course, is the future millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ will rule and reign on the earth, correct? Absolutely. Yep, that's right. Yep. So... Well, thank you so much. I think I hope this is helpful, and uh, I, I I think uh, I, I really appreciate the question. It wasn't ugly. I think sometimes, Doctor Gunn, I know that you have faced some people. Uh, this becomes something that is ugly. I mean, he did ask, "Why are you dishonoring God?" But we don't think that we're dishonoring God. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We we're offering the gospel. We're proclaiming the gospel. And that Jesus Christ died for our sins, he offers eternal life to all who will believe in him. And uh, that's the message we have for today. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Gunn, thank you so much. Here's a question from someone. We encourage folks to send in your questions, and uh, we'll find one of our broadcast partners. Uh, and, man, I love the way you, you answered it, Dr. Gunn. Sounds like something. I mean, we're all on the same page together, and I really do appreciate that. Thank you so much. Okay, God bless. Lord bless you. Well, we've got to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we have been looking at current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And it is the 4th of July weekend, the weekend that we celebrate the freedoms that we have observed over all these years, Rick. And I do think, uh, as we have done many programs on what's taking place in America, the downfall maybe, the decline. In fact, we are putting together a video, the last video that my father did, talking about the decline of America as a nation. 
Uh, that was one of the very last things that he put together, and we'll be talking future programs about that. But, Rick, uh, I'm really happy about doing these Q&As, and we have lots of questions that come in from people, and it's good to give them answers. Well, it certainly is, Jimmy. And, and just to, to revisit the July 4th topic, I, uh, like many of our listeners, I'm sure, do get a, a tinge of emotion when you see the American flag. Some of my mm. great, some of our greatest memories are being there for the Fourth of July parade in Scroon Lake, New York. Well, that's where we grew up, mm. and uh, it was one of those things that we saw every year. So, America and July Fourth does mean something certainly to us. But that reminds me of a question. And again, like I said, so many of our listeners and so many of the people that have attended our conferences are patriotic, and they do love their country. And Probably the most asked question that we have had is where does the United States fit in Bible prophecy? Right. That is one of the most asked questions. People want to know. We care about our great nation. And I always give them the answer. When you look at it, the only place we see in in Bible prophecy that the United States would be mentioned would be in Zechariah chapter 14, when it says all nations will be gathered to the city of Jerusalem. And I went to seminary, Rick, and all means all. And so as we look at that, when uh, we're studying Bible prophecy and we understand, when you use the proper hermeneutics, what we talked about a couple weekends ago, we talked about using proper hermeneutics, that uh, who was the author writing to at the time? The United States was not even a nation. And should it still be around when the second coming of Christ comes and he comes back and touches down in the Mount of Olives, the Antichrist, Satan, false prophet, will gather all nations to the city of Jerusalem to try to wipe out the Jewish people. Well, speaking of that, Rick, and we're studying Alpha and Omega. And this week, we're going to go back to where, um, as we have been following along, this city of Babylon. About 2,500 years ago, Babylon, the empire, took on the Assyrians, defeated the Assyrians at Carchemish. Then they followed down. Uh, chasing the Egyptians across that land bridge all the way to Egypt, defeated them. And then coming back through Jerusalem, uh, Nebuchadnezzar picks up four young men and takes them back to Babylon. We're going to take a look at Babylon in the past and the role that it will play in the future. On our segment today, our legacy series, Alpha and Omega with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. But what does Nimrod want to do? He wants to build a city. Build a city, Babylon. It's the beginning of his kingdom. Now, this is the prototype. This is going to set the stage for what's going to happen in the end time. What's going to take place is there's going to be another Babylon. Let me talk with you about Babylon present. And when I say present, not at the time of 4,500 years ago in Nimrod. The next time we talk about Babylon in the Bible is about 2,000 years later after Nimrod. 2,500 years ago, the times of Nebuchadnezzar. That's when we see Babylon coming into focus once again. Nebuchadnezzar was the crown prince of the Babylonian kingdom. It wasn't the kingdom of the world. It was a small kingdom. The leader of the world that time, and actually Babylon came under the leadership of the Assyrian Empire. Do you do realize that there were two Gentile world powers before Babylon? The Egyptian Gentile world power, and they took the Jews into captivity and to bondage for about a 400-year period of time. And then they were defeated by the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians, the Assyrians, their capital city, by the way, was Nineveh. 
Nineveh, up the road from Babylon, both of them in modern-day Iraq. Nineveh is Mansul in northern Iraq today. And so Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, and they were controlling the known world. The Babylonians wanted to take charge of this situation. So the crown prince, king of Babylon, the father of Nebuchadnezzar, sent him forth to try to see if they could defeat the Assyrians. They started going west. Meanwhile, the Egyptians, who had been defeated by the Assyrians but wanted to assist, they start out of northern Africa, the continent of northern Africa. They start up through that land bridge, which is Israel, and they're going up and for the purpose of joining with the Assyrians to defeat the Babylonians. At this point in time, King Josiah, he was the king of Judah, the two tribes that stayed in the south. Remember in 722, the Assyrians had taken the ten tribes into captivity. We're now talking about almost a hundred years later, and here is Egypt going up to help the Assyrians. King Josiah goes out, actually goes to the tip of the Jezreel Valley, and he is endeavoring to try to stop the Egyptians uh, to, uh, so that the Babylonians won't have as much difficult with the Assyrians, and he gets killed an untimely death. He wasn't doing what God wanted him to do. God had another plan. That was a mighty king. He was one of the great kings of Judah, but he was out of God's will at that time. Anyway, the Egyptians get up there. They join with the Assyrians. Nebuchadnezzar comes across. He wipes out the Assyrians. And then he's pushing the Egyptians back down that land bridge into northern Africa. And as he gets down there, he turns around and starts up the Via Maris. The Via Maris, the way of the sea, is the transportation route that takes him up by the Mediterranean coast. And on his return, he hears that his father has died. Now he is the king of the Babylonian people. He cuts across where about Tel Aviv is today. Jaffa was the location. He cuts across going eastward because it's a faster route. Go straight across. You don't have to go up the triangle. Go up over the Fertile Crescent in Syria and come down. He's going to go straight across over to Babylon because now he has to get back. He's the leader of the Babylonian people. He starts across and guess what? He has to go through Jerusalem. When he enters Jerusalem, he sees this temple. Well, he should have seen it. It was about 15 stories high. It was majestic on the Jerusalem skyline. This is the, this is the uh, temple that Solomon built. It was beautiful, unbelievable. He saw these Jews worshiping and offering sacrifice and worshiping a God he had never heard about. He said, what in the world is this? He says, you know, if I'm going to be the king of the Babylonian Empire, I better make sure that I can control these people. We've defeated the Egyptians. We've defeated the Assyrians. I don't know who these Jews are, but I'm going to take me a couple of hostages to make sure that I keep them under control. And so he took four boys from the royal family in Jerusalem. He takes them back into the captivity. That's Daniel chapter 1. He's going to bring these four boys in. He's going to use them to train them up in the ways of the Chaldeans. He's going to make them a part of his wise men, the counselors to King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel ultimately becomes the number three in the Babylonian Empire. And then when Nebuchadnezzar dies under Belshazzar, his grandson, Daniel becomes number two. And the other boys, Ananias, Hazariah, and Mishael, they become powerful leaders in the Babylonian Empire as well. And so his plan worked. And that's we see the first siege of the city of Jerusalem and the taking away of those four young men. 
That was 605 B.C. 597 B.C. now, Nebuchadnezzar comes back. He goes into Jerusalem. He takes Ezekiel and about 10,000 Jews with him. They go back out of uh, Jerusalem, back into Babylon. They go to the Chabar River, Ezekiel chapter 1. The Chabar River is a tributary off the Euphrates River. And there Ezekiel is staying with these 10,000, teaching them, giving them prophecy about what is going to happen. He's going to make a third siege, and that will be 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar comes in on Tishbaav, 586 B.C. Let me show you what he does. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. He is going to destroy the temple. This is the third wave. He's going to come in. He's going to kill a third of the Jews. He's going to burn a third of the Jews in the destruction of the temple and the city. And he's going to take a third of the Jews back into the Babylonian captivity. That's the fulfillment of the prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 5. Start here in verse 18, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his princes, all of these were brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God, and they break down the walls of Jerusalem, and burned all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away into Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. Now, you know why this took place? Because God had told the Jewish people, the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verse 23, he said, this is my land. In verses 20 to 23, he said, I want you to rest this land that I have given you every seven years. Give it a Shabbat. Give it a sabbatical. Don't raise any food during that year. In the sixth year, I'll give you enough products to take care of you through the seventh year into the eighth year when you can start raising crops again. But give it a sabbatical. The Jewish people did not do that. And they did not do that. They did not give the land a sabbatical for 490 years. Divide seven into 490, you get 70. Look here, verse 21. He did this to fulfill the word of the Lord from the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath for as long as she lay desolate she keep a Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. He was talking about Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 9, and chapter 29, verse 10. That was the passage that Daniel was reading in chapter 9 and verse 2 when he determined where he was in God's time. He knew he left at 15 years of age, at 85 years of age. He reads Jeremiah and he says, wow, that's 70 years ago that started. Okay, I know where we are now in biblical history And in God's plan for the future. Read Bible prophecy. You can understand exactly where you are. And so it was that Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He takes all the vessels. All the vessels that were used. Dedicated for the services at the temple. Takes them back. Puts them in his temple. Burns down the city. Burns down the temple. Kills a third of the people. Takes the other third into the captivity. 586 B.C. That's the Babylonian captivity. Babylon is going to be defeated though. Do you know what Babylon was like? It was a twin city to Nineveh. And both of these cities had two walls around the city. The two walls were 100 feet high, 50 feet wide. You could race two chariots down the tops of the wall. Between the two walls, they had a moat full of alligators. The way they would supply their water in 
Babylon was that the Euphrates River flowed under the northern wall and flowed out the southern wall. They tell us, the researchers who've done work on this, that they had enough food in Babylon to supply their needs for a 20-year period of time. It was an impregnable city. If you're going to capture the city, you had to scale a wall straight up for 100 feet. Go across 50 feet, scale the wall down 100 feet. Swim the moat full of alligators, climb up the wall 100 feet, go across, climb down the wall 50 feet. You're in the city, said, we're here to capture you. Man, it was an impregnable city. Do you remember chapter 5 of the book of Daniel? The Babylonian Empire is going to fall that night. What were they doing? Belshazzar, grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, is now the leader. Daniel is number two in the Babylonian kingdom. Belshazzar decides to have a party for a bunch of his cronies. He invites a thousand of his cronies in. They bring their concubines. They're having a great time. And Belshazzar says, where are those vessels that my granddaddy brought from that temple in Jerusalem? Get them over here. And they bring the Mizrach. You know what the Mizrach is? It's a pitcher-shaped item made out of pure gold and pure silver. It's what they would put the sacrificial blood in. They had 4,000 of them. Bring them over here, and they get them over there, and they fill them with their wine, and they're having a drunken party. Meanwhile, the Medes have gone north on the Euphrates River. The Persians have gone south on the Euphrates River. They dammed up the rivers from the north and from the south. That laid a beautiful dry tunnel underneath the wall. And so while the party's going on, the Medes and the Persians walk into the city. They see this man wandering in the streets. Where's the party? In that palace over there. All right. And they killed old Belshazzar and the Babylonians. And the Babylonian Empire fell that night. Did you hear what I said? The Babylonian Empire fell that night. Let me say it again. The Babylonian Empire fell that night. Why'd you say that three times, Jimmy? I want you to know the Babylonian Empire fell that night. But listen, the Babylonian city did not fall. The Babylonian city did not fall, and that is key. It is indeed key to understanding Bible prophecy to know that the city of Babylon did not fall when defeated by the Medes and the Persians 2,500 years ago. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Sri Lanka has halted fuel sales for non-essential vehicles for the next two weeks. Only trains, buses, food trucks, and medical vehicles can fill up. 
All citizens have also been told to work from home. Greg Yoder with Christian World Outreach says their staff can't reach the villages where they minister. CWO is starting an agricultural program, helping widows and the elderly grow food next to their homes. This team reaches out, in the name of Christ, to those who've been shunned and forgotten. And a 45-year-old widow in Laos was sharing Jesus with her village and paid for it with her freedom. Christian Aid Mission says Rena was the first person in her animist village who began following Christ. As she shared her new faith, many others followed. And then a district official demanded to know who the first Christian was in the village. Rena came forward and was placed under house arrest. That was eight months ago. Pray for Rena's spiritual encouragement and for Laotians to know life in Jesus Christ. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, this is the 4th of July weekend. It's the weekend of freedom in America, but we are losing our freedoms around the world. And as we continue to watch the stage being set, we're watching as we're ever daily going closer to the rapture of the church. Well, Jimmy, that's the point of this whole program is we look at current events and as they're taking place, and we want to give you an accurate portrayal of what is going on in the world. But then we take a look at those events and see how they could be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And uh, sometimes it's easy as just connecting the dots. Yes. You know, we started out the program today, and I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in this, to to restate something that we've already stated. One of the four things that we keep our eyes on, and I'm going to give you all four, but the first one is Aliyah. Micah chapter 4 talks about the return of the Jewish people to the land. Ezekiel chapters 34 and 36 both talk about the people and the land. Rick, in today's world, we're seeing Jewish people go to the land of Israel, not necessarily return because that's not where they were born, but a lot of Jews that were born around the world are going to the land of Israel, and there's a special calling that they feel towards the land. Yes, and that began early in the 20th century and continues on to this day. And that special connection, they're drawn there to the land because it's the land of their forefathers, but there's, they've been pushed there as well, too. And we see continuing rises in anti-Semitism around the world, and there's one safe place for uh, Jewish people to be, and that's the Jewish nation of Israel. Don't forget, during the Holocaust, the German, Nazi Germany, used the church to help fulfill its role in killing the Jewish people, exterminating six million Jews, and the church was a part of that. So it's uh, today we see that that is continuing to go on. People with a wrong theology don't understand that God still has a plan for the Jewish people. He still has promises for them that they are going to, that He is going to fulfill, and that will be in the future. You mentioned as well, Jimmy, alignment of the nations. Well, we spend a lot of time on this program talking about the aligning of the nations in the world. And sometimes it seems dominoes, uh, one thing happens here, affects what happens over here. But certainly many things uh, seem to be falling into place for these nations, these actors that are going to be on the stage in the end times. Yes, and that is prophesied again. You know, 1,000 prophecies have been given in the Scripture pertaining to Christ's first coming and his second coming. 500 are left to be fulfilled. As we are watching the worlds and the stage that is being set, leaders, world leaders are coming to the stage, 
and making decisions that are setting up for an alignment of nations to come against Israel in the end times. And of course, that's Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Psalm 83. Well, the book of Daniel also talks in another one of our main points, uh, the anticipation for peace. The book of Daniel also talks about a peace treaty being on the table. And we've spent a lot of time today with Dave Dolan and even with Ken Timmerman talking about peace treaties that are floating around, these talks that are taking place between different groups. These treaties are floating around, and it says the Antichrist is going to come and confirm these treaties. Yes. In fact, one of the most talked about topics in the news today is world peace. How are we going to achieve world peace? People can try it all they want. Governments can try it. It's not going to come about. A man of peace will come on the scene. That's that first seal that's unleashed in Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It's also described, uh, the Antichrist is described in Revelation chapter 13. And like you said, Rick, Daniel 7, that little horn, Daniel chapter 9, he comes and he confirms a peace agreement with Israel. Uh, I think Dr. Rob Congdon, George Gunn, they were both giving information pertaining to an event and how close that we are to the rapture of the church. The final trend that we sometimes talk about, we didn't talk about it much today, is the arrangements for the temple, and that's the rebuilding of the third temple. We talk about that often, and that is uh, something that is taking place in Israel right now. Yes, that uh, that Dome of the Rock sits on the top of Mount Moriah in the city of Jerusalem. I had a great time teaching last weekend in uh, Roseboro, North Carolina, to a church. And uh, young people sat around asking about, you know, uh, what is this all about, about a future temple. John was told to measure that temple in Revelation chapter 11. Paul talked about it in Second Thessalonians. Uh, we also have Jesus mentioned when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the temple. That's Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. There's going to be a future temple, and the Jewish people are planning to build it. They're working towards that. They're doing everything. That just is information for us as believers. There's nothing holy about that temple. It won't be holy until Jesus Christ rebuilds a temple talked about in Ezekiel, the last six chapters, or actually the last eight chapters of the book of Ezekiel. That's Ezekiel's temple that Jesus Christ will build in the future when he returns back to the earth. That's what he talked about in Matthew chapter 24, his second coming. That's the holy temple. That's the temple where Jesus Christ will rule and reign from. There is another temple before that, though, and that's the one that we talk about often. That is there so that we might understand the times in which we're living. When we see these things coming together, when we see the the uh, the robes and the garments and the utensils for the temple, Rick, we're seeing this getting closer every single day. And, of course, that temple will not be built until after the rapture of the church. I think it's important, Jimmy, what you were just saying there. We are not news junkies. We're not prophecy junkies. We're Bible students. We're mm. looking at Scripture. And one of the reasons we look at what's taking place in the world, and one of the things we study Scripture is because it shows us that God has a plan. And this confidence that we get by seeing these actors come into place and this stage being set is that we see that that plan is about to be fulfilled. So we get confidence 
But it should also motivate us too, shouldn't it? Yes, to live a pure, productive, holy life in an unholy world. Rick, you're so correct in all the things that you said, and that's why we do this program, so that you can listen in as we discuss this, discuss Bible prophecy, discuss world events, and that's what we have done today. Well, Rick, happy 4th of July. Celebrate freedom, and uh, let's continue to see how God uses us in these last days, in the final moments, I believe, before the rapture of the church takes place. I'll see you next week on the radio. Well, that's right, Jimmy. Happy 4th of July to you as well. Let's continue to pray for our country, and let's keep looking up. Until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.